God bless you today. This is Susan Puzio, and I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News Radio program on Blog Talk Radio. And we're also on YouTube. We have a channel, Susan Puzio, and we also have a channel called Greedy Preachers TV. We have our website, propheticnews.com, and also, I've just re- released my new book, well, updated book on Paula White, and the title is now President Trump's Pastor, the miracle-selling huckster who became the spiritual advisor to the world's most powerful man. So I've added about three new chapters, and there's some very interesting new information in the book, and it is available on Amazon, and You can also purchase it if you live in other countries like Canada and the United Kingdom. It's for sale on different platforms on Amazon. But anyway, the information is very, very timely, and I think it's very important information to know about this person, Paula White, who is still advising Donald Trump and... I find it very alarming, especially the connection between the cult leader, Mrs. Moon, and Donald Trump and Paula White as far as participating in her conferences. It's something for us to be aware of and to look out for, especially when we're talking about political uh, people who will be possibly again running for president and being the rulers of our country. But I think we're in some perilous times right now. I, I, I really don't see things changing in a big way. I, I see things probably going more toward deception And we have to have our spiritual eyes open now more than ever and to know what God's word says because there's so many deceivers out there. And they don't have any mercy (laughs) because... A lot of them are power-hungry, and they get too much too soon, and and you see the development of the so-called mega-church where thousands of people go and they congregate, and they listen to these watered-down messages 
and the pastor becomes like a king of his kingdom there. And it was never meant to be that way. I think if we look into scripture and, and we can see the humility of the apostles and how they operated and how far away from that example we've come as a church where it seems to be all about the money. The pastor is the king of the kingdom in most churches. He collects 10% by arm twisting and deceiving people into thinking that somehow they owe this money to God. And it's the only way to get God to, one of the only ways anyway, to get God to move in your life is to give him 10% of your money. So these, many of these people become very, very wealthy themselves because they can't help but put their hand in the till, so to speak. And uh, for instance, like Paula White, her financial documents became public because of this lawsuit that she had with Shirley Johnson. <clears throat> and Shirley Johnson was able to obtain her financial records which were later unsealed by the court in Orlando. And you can, if you want to see the records, you can go to the courthouse there in Orlando and look up the documents. But So we were able to get an insight into how much money she was earning, which around 2014 or 2017, she was taking almost over $800,000 and probably more for salary and housing allowance and insurance and different things that she needed. So it, it was like she was taking probably $1 out of every five out of her church for herself. And then she puts her husband and her daughter-in-law and her son on the payroll. So that's just one instance. But what pastor deserves a million dollars a year? For what? Most of them have big staffs. They don't really do that much themselves because they don't have to. They preach maybe two sermons a week, and they might do some other work. Once they're established as far as they have hundreds of people or thousands of people in their congregation, then they can delegate the authority to others, so then they don't have to really do that much work. So why do they have to uh, be so greedy of gain? And then you see what happens. You, you, you can read day after day of the fall of many of these men because they can't handle it. Jesus said it was hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I guess he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so you can see one after another they're dropping like dominoes because they can't control themselves. They they realize if they're that, I would say, wicked, that they would deceive people into believing that they had to give them 10% or they had to give it to God. And then they also had to sow seeds to get blessings. If you could be that deceptive with people, then you're capable of anything. That's what I believe because... 
if you're going to be a minister of the gospel, you need to study the word of God and you need to know what it, what it's really saying before you can present it to other people. You know, obviously we all make mistakes as far as doctrine is concerned. I don't think <clears throat> there's anybody that can say they never made a mistake and maybe misinterpreted a scripture. But of course God looks at the heart. So if you're sincere and then you go back and you, you do a thorough study and you find out what the word of God really says, and it's up to you then to correct your mistakes and to present the truth to people. So some of these men probably know that they're deceiving people as far as the finances go, but they're, they've grown accustomed to their lifestyle. They live in million-dollar homes or they drive expensive cars. They can take any trip they want, and so they become full of pride. And then what happens is they start either using drugs or they start using alcohol because they, if they have any kind of a conscience, and I'm going to, going to read a story to you about Brian Houston of Hillsong. If they have any kind of a conscience at all, they start, they have to do something so that they don't hear that still small voice. So they start drinking alcohol or they start using drugs because they can't sleep. And, but yet they don't want to tell people the truth. So they had a big scandal at Hillsong in New York with Carl Lentz, and here he was, the pastor of this big church there in New York City, and then he was committing adultery with a Muslim woman, and you wonder, like, what's going on in this guy's head? He's up there on Sunday telling everybody about Jesus and telling people how to live. And meanwhile, he's living a double life. So it's a dangerous situation. And then he has a wife and children, and they all suffered from what he did. And they're probably still suffering. So then the case of... Brian Houston, and I, I expected something like this to come out eventually because it's a corrupt organization, Hillsong. And so there was just a story that came out the other day that um, says Hillsong Church says founder Brian Houston breached its code of conduct with the organization apologizing unreservedly to two women who complained about his inappropriate behavior. The Hillsong Global Board on Friday afternoon sent a letter to church members leaked to the ABC about complaints made about Mr. Houston's conduct in 2013 and 2019, which it probably was going on for a long time. It's, I expect that there'll be more women that'll come out of the closet now that the story is public. The letter was sent to members hours after the new head of Hillsong Church, Pastor Phil Dooley, held extraordinary meetings with 800 global staff members. Now, 800 global staff members, that's a pretty big organization, detailing Mr. Houston's indiscretions. 
We have sadly been dealing with two complaints made against Pastor Ryan over the last 10 years. And then they're apologizing. But it says the first incident detailed in the letter involved inappropriate text messages sent to a female staffer, which led to her resigning. Pastor Dooley, in an emotional video conference, said the texts were along the lines of, if I was with you, I'd like to kiss and cuddle you. Now, that's definitely inappropriate for a married pastor to be sending you that kind of a text message. He immediately apologized to the person. We also worked with Pastor Brian to ensure he received professional help to eliminate his dependency on medication. So they say he was taking sleeping medication and then he was drinking alcohol. So, like I said, when they start feeling guilty about what they're doing and they might know about the financial things that they're doing to people to lie to people about how to get their money so that they can get richer and start more churches and have television networks. And they have to then start using sleeping pills because they can't sleep. And then also they have to start chasing women. It, it, it's a pattern. It's a pattern. But I, I, a few months ago when I was reading some of the stories about Brian Houston and he had stepped down this year because he's going on trial for allegedly covering up for his father who was molesting children, young boys especially. And so he resigned as the pastor, I guess temporarily. He'll probably make a comeback. But, and then to see him, he looked disheveled. He looked like there was something going on. And so it was just a matter of time. But the Bible says your sin will find you out. And a a man that commits adultery, it says, the Bible says that your reproach will never be wiped away. So it follows you. It follows you. And we can see that at, from history, from some of the more famous people that have committed adultery, like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger, when you look at them, you always remember their indiscretion. And so it brings back that scripture that says that your reproach will not be wiped away. So it says that Also in this article, it says that later that evening, Pastor Brian attempted to get into his room, but he didn't have his own room key and ended up knocking on the door to a woman's room. She opened the door and he went into her room. We don't know what happened next. The woman has not said there was any sexual activity. Brian has said there was no sexual activity, but he was in the room for 40 minutes says, Mr. Houston became disoriented following the consumption of anti-anxiety medication beyond the prescribed dose mixed with alcohol. So we'll see what happens, but there'll be more women coming out of the closet now that it's gone public and they won't 
feel so afraid to come forward because you don't know what these people are capable of. If it's that bad for him that he's pastoring this humongous church and they have probably hundreds of millions of dollars coming in and he seems to have everything going for him. He's got a wife and children and they're all working in the ministry, of course, because where are they going to earn salaries like their father's going to pay them? So why does he have to have anti-anxiety medication? Because he knows something's wrong. He, know, he, he, he knows something's wrong. So we really need to pray for him because I, who knows what could happen? Who knows what could happen if he was in such a state like this while he was pastoring and now he's going to go on trial for this, the and there's a possibility of him going to jail, which he probably will go. He probably will go to jail. In my mind, I would think that the Lord would use it to save him from himself, and to use it as a time for him to reflect on his life and his ministry. Because I think any of us in public ministry, we have to take a, a good hard look at what we're doing and how we're doing it. And to be careful that we don't hurt people in the process of trying to have a big, successful public ministry. Because fame is dangerous. And when you have too much and you're not getting it in the right way, yeah, it, it, can, it can drive you crazy. So we see a lot of this happening right now where these men can't handle their position and they feel entitled and then they start helping themselves to drugs and they start helping themselves to alcohol and then they start helping themselves to the women in the church. And it's, it's really ugly. It's really ugly, but I think it's it's just something that we have to pay attention to and we all have to be accountable to God for our actions because it, could, it really could happen to just about anybody if you're not careful. You can't mishandle the word of God for your own selfish means. because you'll wind up hurting people and, and you'll wind up really hurting yourself. It might look good in the beginning where you've got everything you need and you've got more money than you ever dreamed about and you've got more power than you ever dreamed about and you can, you, all you have to do is tell somebody what to do and they'll, and they'll do everything that you tell them. They'll even work for free. And I, I thought it was odd too the other day when... Uh, Paula White was saying, yeah, some of you people complain because you have to volunteer here. And you say to yourself, oh, maybe Paula should pay us. Yeah, I guess you should pay people when they work. I guess you should. 
if you're getting a million dollars, why should you expect people to work for free? It's okay to volunteer a few hours if you want to at your church, but if they start taking advantage of you and you're volunteering like 20, 30, 40 hours a week, well, <laughs> I would say, yeah, something's wrong there. Because the Bible says a workman's worthy of his hire. If you're working, you should be paid, especially if there's enough money in the church. If the church is taking in five over $5 million a year, then I think you can pay people instead of treating people like slaves. You're the master pastor and they're the slave. And they and some for some reason they have to volunteer their time to prove something to God, but you don't. It's not right. It's not right. So you can't take advantage of people, but you see that in so many of these churches where they expect people to uh, devote themselves to the vision of the pastor without having any regard for these people and for the need, for their own needs, for their own financial needs. Because Christians, I think all of us want to do something for the Lord. And we want to be a part of something. So when people join churches, they, they, they don't mind doing something to help the church. And a lot of these pastors know it, but then they start taking advantage of people. And that happens quite a bit. I've seen it over and over again in my over 40 years of being a Christian and being in so many different churches and ministries. And uh, it's just not right. But we have a long way to go to see a, a real reformation and all of us should do our part to bring about that reformation and to stand up for the truth even if it means that your church is going to disfellowship you <laughs> which they might <laughs> which they might over the bible as it is and so that could happen that could happen but then again you can't play politics with your ministry and what the Lord's told you to do, you have to stand strong no matter what happens to you. If you lose every friend you have and uh, if they ask you to leave the church, well, you're not leaving the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be leaving that building, but you have to stand up for the truth, even if it does cost you something as far as your reputation, as far as people misunderstanding you well they misunderstood jesus so they, they probably will misunderstand you but i think in the long run it's always best to stand up for the truth of god's word and not to compromise because god sees everything that you do he knows your labor he knows what you're doing as far as your work for the gospel's sake, and he will reward you. And you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God who blessed you. You will know that. 
So don't compromise to play politics in the in a in church situations or in ministry situations, but just stand firm on what you know to be the truth and you will see the blessings of God in your life. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added unto you. And that is so true in every way. So let's hear a little bit of Titus. The Epistle of Paul to Titus, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. Sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Not <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, rebuke them sharply, so they might be strong in the faith. And uh, there needs to be more of that, I think. Of course... The uh, most of the prosperity preachers and the word of faith people, they don't really like that part of Titus because they don't like you. They tell you you're not supposed to name names and you're not supposed to cause division. And uh, But you, you can't play with people's lives. If we really believe there's a heaven and we really believe there's a hell, then you can't play with people's lives. God's word is true, and let God's word be true, and every man a liar, amen? So, today we're going to talk about Sid Roth. Oh, dear. I'm amazed at this television program, and I think he had almost like 2 million subscribers to his YouTube channel, which is amazing to me. And, uh, well, I guess YouTube doesn't mind what he's saying because they don't try to slow down the algorithms so people don't find him like they've done to my channel. And uh, at one time we were getting 
thousands of views, sometimes tens of thousands of views on some of the videos. And then all of a sudden, when they told me I couldn't monetize my channel, which I don't really care about that because I, if it's monetized or it's not monetized, I'm still going to tell the truth. And so then they do something so that your videos don't really come up as much. They don't get as much advertising as they did at once at one time. So then they slow down the uh, the way people can find you. So, but then I'm amazed at these false teachers and these false prophets. How many views they get on their channel, and how many subscribers they get. It's really amazing. I couldn't believe it when I saw how many subscribers he had because it's it's the kookiest. It's the kookiest channel. As far as every kook in the world goes on this Sid Roth program with all these wild testimonies. And it's it's even hard to fathom when you think about it that there could be so many people that are deceiving people out there with all their visions and their, their vain bab- babblings and they go to heaven and they, they take many trips to heaven and and Jesus appears to them, and he takes them to hell. And they see angels. They see 12-foot angels. And, oh, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And he has a daily television program. He's all over the place on these so-called Christian television networks. And he promotes some of the weirdest testimonies I think I've ever heard but anyway here's a little background on Sid Roth from the 1970s when he appeared on the Catherine Kuhlman television program and this is before he started his own ministry I don't have to tell you. I don't even have to remind you. You know that I believe in miracles and I feel sorry for the human being today who does not believe in the supernatural power of Almighty God. We forget sometimes that God is still God Almighty. And there is no such thing as failure with him. Oh, we're going to have the greatest time today. When I tell you that the name of my guest is Sid Roth, that's thrilling in itself. (laughs) I'm so excited about it because... Sid Roth is one of those wonderful young businessmen from Washington, D.C., who uh, has had this glorious experience of knowing the Messiah in the forgiveness of his sins. Sid Roth, first of all, I want you to know 
How wonderful it is to have you as my guest today. I am privileged to have you, believe me, and to know that we're related. <laughs> now, there'll be thousands of folks who won't understand that. Somebody with a name like Catherine Kuhlman and a man with a name like Sid Roth, and they wonder how in the world we can be related. We belong to the same family, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. That in itself is a miracle, you know it. Well, Sid, the Washington Daily News classes you with uh, other very prominent young men in business in our nation's capital as white-collar Jesus freaks. I think that's the greatest compliment that, that they could pay you, fellas. Really. How in the world did you ever get involved with Jesus Christ? Well, considering <laughs> that I come from an Orthodox Jewish background, it's uh, it'll take more than a couple of seconds to give you an answer. I, I know. And, and you're a very successful stockbroker in Washington, D.C. You've been in this business for how many years? Well, I'm 31 years old, and I've been in the stock business about eight years, and I've been in the business of Jesus Christ about one year. I'm one year old, my <laughs> Lord. And you're a great success both as uh, a Christian and as a stockbroker. A very successful Christian and a very successful stockbroker. Well, tell me, all right, tell me about your early training. She she spent a lot of time on her her with her drama vocal court uh, coach apparently. <laughs> oh dear! I mean, who, who talks like that? God and uh, yeah, she was a Catherine. She was a show person, that's for sure. But anyway, there's Sid. In the in the early nineteen seventies, and he he was a stockbroker, one year old in the Lord, and so that was his beginning, and it got crazier after that because, like I said, I've never seen so many wacky people in my life. Deceivers, though, deceivers using Jesus and the Bible to perpetuate these fantastic stories. And uh, I can't even believe there's so many of them out there. But I remember years ago, and I probably have that clip somewhere on one of my older computers where Sid Roth was making fun of the born-again experience. Oh, born-again, schmorn-again, he said, something like that, like it wasn't a big deal. And I thought to myself, wow, there's the true colors coming out. What does this man really believe? Because if you have any kind of a real Bible background, you're certainly not going to promote all these fantastic testimonies from these liars and deceivers. And, yeah, many of them are. Here's one of them. Um, why don't we talk about this? Why do we do this? And angels of fire and says, you should 
two. Dr. Candace Smithman, and you may wonder why I'm doing something different than I've ever done before. My hand is behind my back. It's because Dr. Candace is a seer, and as a seer, she said, there is a big angel behind me, and if I would put my hand behind my back, I would feel the angel's presence. And not only that, the same glory that is on that angel is being transferred to me right now. I would like you to travel with me, Dr. <laughs> Candace, and just tell me when I should put my hand behind my back. I'd be happy to. <laughs> Anytime. Candace, how important is it for all, all believers to partner with the angels? Is that all believers or just the ones that are serious like you? No, all believers. See, it doesn't matter whether we can see in the spirit a big 12-foot angel. The fact of the matter is the word of God says that he sent his angels flames of fire. And we know that in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word malak and agalos are words that tell us they're messengers, they're servants, they're waiters, they're deputies. So they're waiters that are waiting for us who are the royal citizens of the kingdom of heaven to give them an order from the word of God. And it's so important to understand how to cooperate with the angels you, you teach in your book because the harvest is upon us. That's right. Yes. And let me tell you what the Lord showed me, said he wants us. We're human beings. We're a type of creature, right? <laughs> who, who has inherited salvation, but the angels don't need salvation. Okay. Yet they are created beings to come alongside those who have in inherited salvation. We know the power of the resurrection. So they are to be submissive to those who are human beings that understand the power of the resurrection in order to direct them to join in with kingdom work. What the Lord has said he wants to see happen with revival, end time revival, the release of glory, the harvest of souls. He wants us now to partner with them and be active. It is no more that we just go forth kind of wondering, are angels really there to help us? But we now make some active choices. Yeah, that's uh, Dr. Candace Smithian and her bizarre stories about angels. So let's, let's listen to a few more of these clips here. when we were just before we started that there'll be a lot of healing so are there healing angels here yes there are healing angels here you mean there's all more angels than in these oh areas? my gosh yeah they're all here in this area there are angels of fire that have brought healing properties directly from the throne of god to heal those not only in the studio audience but also you right there at home so that you are able to have whatever it the deficiency is in your body whatever is broken and missing they have come from the throne of God on assignment to bring us healing in that area. But you say all angels are angels of fire. Why? Yes, including our guardian angels, because the throne of God is a throne of fire. 
And they all have to be able to get near the throne of God. We have our seraphim angels, our cherubim angels, and they surround the throne. So they all have to have the fire properties within them. All right. And we know this from Isaiah chapter six, because when the Lord uh, came to Isaiah, he, the seraphim angels came and brought a coal that came to purify the lips of Isaiah straight from the throne of God. So around the throne is fire and fire properties that we actually need in our bodies to be healthy. Well, you've had a lot of encounters with angels. Yes. Tell me about that eight foot Angel. Yes, Yared the giant killer. Okay. His name. You knew his name. Know his name. Um, he. I, I encountered. And Yared. Does that mean giant killer? Yep. Well, actually, Yah stands for God. Yahweh. Okay. Red is the Hebrew word Admone, which is broken down to reddish. Okay. Reddish. Okay. And who do we know had a reddish appearance? But David. And what did David do? He killed the giant. Hmm. In order for us to see greater healings and miracles, the Lord will send us angels on assignment that will come and they will perform specific duties so that they're in, they're in agreement with us. They're there to perform the duties that are necessary so that God's people can be healed, saved, and delivered. So we have to just believe that they're with us as opposed to, God, send an angel. All we have to do is cooperate with them. That's exactly right. And it's by faith, Sid. This is why it's for everyone. And of course, we're not making this up. It's in the word of God specifically that he sent these angels as messengers to be his agents along with us partnering to see the end time harvest, the end time revival, the glory being released. So now's the time, as you and I both know, now's the time in the earth for this. So when this eight-foot angel showed up, what happened? Well, he showed up in my dream, okay? I was, and I get a lot of dreams and visions from the Lord, but, but nonetheless, whether they're right in front of me, which I can see these here, or whether or not they're in my dreams, I, I, I see all kinds of things in my dreams that the Lord is saying, this is what I have assigned to you or what I, where I want you to go, what I want you to do. So I had a dream, and y'all red was in my dream. And he was about eight feet tall. He had red hair. And he asked me to come over to him. This is in the dream. It was so powerful, Sid. I walked over to him. He was actually kind of dressed. He was dressed in human form. He didn't have angel, angel wings, okay? He was human form. But as he asked me to come near him in the dream, he began to whisper in my ear. And the minute I got near him, I felt this intense presence of the Lord. It was so strong. And then directly after that time um, is when the Lord spoke to me his name, Yah read, and, he, and the Lord told me, you have seen him because I'm sending him with you to go to England, Ireland, and France, where you're going to be on your next ministry assignment. When he showed Yeah, there's an eight-foot angel following her around, but she saw him in her in her dreams, and his name is Yared. Oh dear. Anyway, it even gets more bizarre. the word of God. Okay. And so they have different colors and they have different healing properties with their colors. So blue ones are seraph angels. Okay. They bring copper. That word seraph in the Hebrew is copper serpent actually. So they'll bring copper properties from the throne of God. When our body is deficient in copper, we'll take vitamins. 
Right. But you can ask the Lord to send you a fire angel, a blue one, and they will come and pull the impurities out of your body and your, your body will go on fire. And with that, you will then begin to be deposited with sulfate from heaven around the throne of God. And it's, it's actually copper sulfate. There are calcium angels that are orange, yellow ones that bring sodium, red ones that bring strontium and lithium. Lithium is a component that we need in our brain. Many people who have mental disorders suffer from mm. lithium disorders. So, of course, calcium, we know the importance of that for bones. And sodium to regulate our liver, our kidneys, um, also the pH balance in our body. And I list all of this in the book in healing charts. I mean, I'll tell you, you deal with things I've never seen before, <laughs> no, but I then you either. deal with things from another kingdom. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> oh, that's good. You wonder, well, I guess there's been so many books, fiction, science fiction books written by people with vi vivid imaginations of this lady, Candace Smithian, sure has a vivid <laughs> oh, imagination that she imagines these angels are different colors and they're bringing you copper and calcium and lithium. <laughs> oh, dear. It's, it's hard to believe. It really is hard to believe that this is being promoted as Christianity. Yeah. Here's another uh, crazy testimony from Donna Rigney. Rigney uh, is a prophetess. She hears from heaven and tells us what God is saying. I want everyone to know you a little bit better. Okay. You were um, raised Catholic at age seven. You bumped into an amazing friend. Tell me about that. Yes, uh, I was a, a, a seven-year-old going to church, marched into mass uh, Sunday morning with my family. And the way the church was set up was the children sat up front and the parents sat in the back. So I went to the front with my sister and sat in the pew, and I was just very well behaved. They had nuns there that watched you to make sure that you were behaving. Right. And so uh, I was kneeling down at the part of the Mass where you kneel down with my little missile, and I was reading the words in the missile, and all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to me. I had never had an experience with Jesus before. I, I knew it was him. I don't know how I knew, but I knew it was him. And off he took me into the spirit, I think to heaven. It looked heavenly. And the clouds, it was beautiful. And he was so wonderful, so friendly. He cared about every single thing that concerned me as a seven-year-old. He, he cared about if my mother was angry with me, if I had a fight with somebody. He was talking to me about all the things that were bothering me as a child. Mm. I, and I, I just felt so completely understood and loved. I, I just, I, I could have never left him. And then all of a sudden, it was the time of the Mass when people had to sit down, and everyone else was sitting down, but I was still kneeling because I was going with Jesus. I wasn't in church. And the nun tapped me on the shoulder for me to sit down. And when she did, she brought me out of the Spirit, and Jesus was gone. I was devastated. From then on, I began searching for him. And, and this... 
became a lifetime search. She even went, coming from a Catholic background, she thought, well, to hell and to heaven. Uh, there was one place in hell you talk about that kind of really explains hell. It's called the Chamber of Despair. Yeah. Describe yeah. that to yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, this was a place that um, people who are tormented by demons in their minds are, are sent to. Uh, these demons already were tormenting these people on the earth. Uh, causing them, even some people, to commit suicide. And rather than turn to Jesus for help, they didn't. They denied Jesus, got mad at Jesus, and the enemy was able to bring them there. He, um, it, these people were tortured daily. And while I was going to get to this place, walking down this uh, tunnel, this avenue with Jesus, I could hear this loud clanging noise. And what it sounded like, it sounded like uh, somebody with a sledgehammer Binging on chains, bang, 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 like that, all, all the time, constantly. And so I was wondering, what is this noise? So finally, we get to this chamber, and I see this big clock hanging over the top of the chamber. And this clock represented to the people that they were going to be there forever. And the demons would chant to the clock. Every time the clock would uh, chime, they would chant, forever, forever, you will be here. Forever you will be unloved, 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 forever unloved. Never, never will you ever feel loved. Never, never will you leave here. Things like that, over and over and over, constantly. When one demon got tired of say, saying it, another one would pick up the chant. Continually, these people were tortured like that. And so Jesus and I stood there and watched this, and Jesus talked to me about it, explained to me what was going on, and then he backed away from this chamber. And as he backed away, the people that were in there recognized that Jesus was there because there's no light in hell. It's all darkness. The only light that was there was coming off of Jesus. And so when they recognized that there was this light that was being drawn away from them, they knew Jesus was there, and they started yelling out to him, screaming to him to help them. He said, I can't help you now. His, you could, and so I'm standing right beside Jesus, and, and he's got his arm around me. I'm close, and I could feel his broken heart for these people. His heart was so broken, and he had so much pain in his heart. He said, daughter, I am in more pain watching these people suffer like this needlessly. He said, needlessly. If they just had accepted me, if they had just turned from their sins and turned to me, this would not have been their lot in life. Yeah, well, we already know that. We didn't need you to go to hell and tell us that because the Word of God tells us that. And anyway, Jesus is not going to leave his throne in heaven to come and take her to hell to show her hell. I don't think so. Here's more of her story. What was that like? Uh, that was really graphic and gruesome to see. Uh, whenever the Lord brought me to hell, it was uh, uh, just a, an awful sight to see. And he told me, he said, it's necessary. He said, I know you don't want to come here, but it's necessary for you to see this because I want my people to know 
all about hell, but it is a reality that there is such a place as hell. I want you to understand the tactics of the enemy to hurt my people so that you can tell my children, so my children will be warned. And so one of the days he brought me to this place, and it was a, a, a room full of instruments of torture. Uh, there were braces uh, to put around people's heads and tighten them up. There were spikes to drive down people's spines. There were all kinds of uh, saws and, and um, pickaxes, different things like that, all hanging all over the room. And um, then I saw a demon come in. Demons, more than one, come in, grab some of these things, and rush out of the room. And so then in an instant, like you snapped your finger, I was from that room down to a city street. I was overlooking a city street on the, in the United States. And I saw these demons riding on people's shoulders. I saw them driving spikes down people's backs. And people, the look on their face, they were in so much pain. And the Lord said to me— Well, what, what good is a pain pill— if it's being caused by a demon. Exactly. The pain pill doesn't get rid of the demon. No, no, no. And the Lord said to me, what you're seeing, you are, you're seeing with your spiritual eyes. You cannot see this with your natural eyes. He said, but I'm showing you this with your spiritual eyes. This is true. And then I saw some people that had um, braces around their heads, just, and the demons were tightening them and tightening them. And the people's faces were grimacing with pain. They were having terrible headaches. And it was, and the demons were laughing. This was just the greatest thrill, the more pain they were causing. Tell me about those body parts you saw. All right. Uh, this place in heaven that's called the Hall of Miracles is probably my favorite place to go to when it I visit heaven. It would be my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's an enormous hall, miles and miles long, and it's gold, gold floor, with beautiful chandeliers. There's all diamonds hanging from the whole ceiling. And all, down this hall, there are doorways, all doorways. And so I, I, the Lord brought me there, and I said, can I go in and see what's in the doorways? And he said, sure, you can go in. So I went in the first doorway. The first doorway on the left was a room full of body parts. There were legs, there were arms, there were eyeballs, there were ears. There were all the things that God's children here on the earth would need. He's got them there in this room ready at the great revival that's coming, He's going to empty that room, and it will be poured to the earth. I believe. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But what he showed me is we don't have to wait for the revival. If we pray, if we live in intimate fellowship with him, if we turn from our wicked ways, stop sinning, stay, live holy lives, we can ask him for those things, not just for ourselves, for others too. And he said, if we would do that, we would keep his angels busy day and night, bringing those treasures that are in the hall of miracles to the earth now. I mean, you, you had so many places that you saw that intrigued me. Uh, I'd like to talk about your mansion because, but we can't, we don't have time on that. But tell me about the, the room of golden fishing nets. Yes, this was down the hall of miracles. In this room that the Lord brought me into, there were beautiful gold fish nets all over the room. And he said, I'm getting ready to release these fish nets to the earth. And these are going to be sent to those that I found faithful. He's, he tests his children. 
and he sees who's faithful to him, who is diligent, who's responsible, who will uh, do the right thing when nobody's looking. Those are the ones, okay, that are faithful in the few. He's going to send these fishnets to, and they're going to be used to bring in the end-time harvest. He said, you will not be drawing in material things with these fishnets. You're going to bring souls into my kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I never saw in Scripture where there's golden fishnets in heaven. And, and somehow, she's got a very vivid imagination, let me tell you. God's going to send down golden fishnets. <laughs> and then she, she goes into the room with the body parts. But I think the first person that kind of made that famous was Robert's Lairdin when he talks about his visit to heaven when he was a young boy. And he saw a room full of body parts that were just waiting for people to claim their body parts. I don't think so. And, of course, she sees this torture, which I don't think there's any place in Scripture where it talks about people being having a, a torture room and they have uh, spikes being driven into their body. Of course, probably the worst torture and... The book of Revelation says, but the fearful, Revelation 21, 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we have to base everything on scripture the Bible doesn't talk about what she's saying. And probably the worst torture of people that wind up in hell will be the fact that they, if they denied that there was a God and they denied that Jesus is Lord and he, was, he is the Savior, they'll know it in hell. They'll know that there's a God. And to think that you're going to be separated from God and his love and his mercy for all eternity is a terrible punishment. But as far as the things she's describing, I don't see that in, uh, in the Bible. So she has a, vi a very uh, vivid imagination and... Uh, She's making up these visions and these dreams. So when you when you hear these kind of testimonies, oh yeah, it's it just sounds so wild and that people are sitting in the audience there and they're applauding, and there's millions of people following this guy, and he's deceiving people. He's deceiving people. And so are most of his guests because they're not saying, okay, here I can quote this scripture and I can tell you that the scripture says that this kind of thing is going to happen. She talks about a clock 
I don't remember reading in scripture anywhere where there's a clock in hell. So it has to be a, a thus saith Lord. Here's another deceiver. The devil showed up in hell and he told me how much he loved me. Uh, he couldn't let me go because he had to destroy me because that was uh, 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 someone in his kingdom that was very special because of the witchcraft and the astral projecting and the, and the tormentors that I would release on people with fear and destroy people's life. And the devil said, I can't let you go, but the cross of Jesus Christ appeared in hell. Even the word of God says in Psalm, you make your bed in hell, God is there. And when I went to hell and I left my body and I was there, when the devil showed up in hell, he was so furious uh, to just destroy me. And when he went to grab me, the cross of Jesus Christ was between him and I. And when he went to make contact with the cross, the cross dropped him like he was a toddler on the floor. He had no power. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I ran into the portal of hell and he came for the second time. When he came out, he went to grab me and the cross of Jesus Christ appeared again. And when he made contact, he just fell out like a piece of paper. It was the Lord Jesus Christ setting me free. And I came back into my body, and I went to hell as a, as a high-ranked devil worshiper, a general in the kingdom of darkness, and I came back as a believer in Jesus Christ. How come he leaves you alone? Well, you know, the devil has power. The devil has crazy power, but not the right power for the believer. For instance, did you have any reason to suspect a believer had something special uh, when you were projecting yourself on them or all these other things or cursing them? My job as, as a demonic devil worshiper at the time was to actually project as much as I can, leave my body in cursed regions and cursed neighborhoods and put witchcraft in When you say astral project, you leave your my body, body completely and, and have a contract with a demon. So when I used to fly out, curse the neighborhoods, put witchcraft in the neighborhood uh, with the poverty spirits, whatever demonic stronghold that, that the devil wanted me to put on that neighborhood with the contract of the demon, there was believers that knew how to pray and they would chase me out of the neighborhood in the spirit and I was not able to come the mission. That man's name is John Ramirez. First of all, if you go to hell, you're not going to be rescued out of hell. So anyone that has a testimony about going to hell and coming back, that's not going to happen. And he said he claims that he was set free in hell. Because the cross was there. The cross of Jesus Christ was there in hell. And so he was set free in hell. Well, that can't happen. That can't happen. There's, once you go to hell, if, you're, if you die and go to hell, you're not coming back and getting, you're not going to get born again in hell. So if anybody has a testimony, and, and Kenneth Hagin had a testimony like that too, where, and you can hear it, on uh, YouTube, if you put it into the search, Kenneth Hagen and I saw hell. He claims he died three times, and he wasn't saved, and he went to hell, the gates of hell, and then finally he came back, and he, and he gave his life to the Lord. Well, that can't happen. And that was one of the things that later really bothered me, because being in the Word of Faith movement for 15 years, there was so many of these fantastic testimonies, and Kenneth Hagin had a whole book called uh, I Believe in Visions or something like that. I can't remember the exact title, but of all his visitations that he had of Jesus appearing to him, and then, of course, his testimony about going to hell 
three times, dying and going to hell, and then he gets saved? I don't think so. None of that is biblical. And you'd be surprised how many people still follow Kenneth Hagin and his teachings. And you didn't question it at the time. You didn't, you didn't really question his visions. Jesus said he's coming again. He died, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. He's not coming to earth to make visitations to certain select people. So when people, when they talk like that, you have to immediately note that they're false because these things can't happen. And when you think about all these churches that have built, been built around the teachings of Kenneth Hagin, and even today his church in Tulsa, Rama, and they have their Bible school, they have a big, big congregation. And that it's all, all based on a false gospel, another gospel. Here's another testimony from Sid Rothberg. What was that? Yeah, Sid, I, I got home from the hospital. I, you know, finally, I, hmm. I went to sleep at nine, around 9.20. Something grabbed a hold of my left wrist. And when it did this, it pulled me right up out of the bed. I mean, it just jerked me out of the bed like it was nothing, like I was a rag doll. And, you know, I tried to fight it. You know, that's the first instinct you have. Of course. And so I was trying to do this, and this, this thing, I realized all of a sudden that, hey, this is a demon. And I knew instantly I was going to hell. Hmm. And I knew that's where I was heading. And so this demon took me, and I, I, could, I started hearing these screams. I started smelling this awful smell. And this demon just kept taking me, and it just kept traveling. I mean, you feel you were going. And this demon took me to hell. And I'm in hell, and I'm looking around in hell, and I'm seeing all these different people, even people I recognize, even some from my childhood that I saw. I saw former pastors. I you, saw, you saw people that you felt were Christians. Oh, yes, yes. Mm. I felt Well, see, one of the things that happens is when you're in the spirit after you pass on, when you look at somebody else, you instantly know everything about them. There doesn't have to be communication because you know everything about them. So what happens is that you're looking at these people and you're, you're kind of speaking to them and they're telling you and you just read everything that's happening in their life. So you know exactly what they did. And it, it's amazing because these are not people you would expect to see there. You just wouldn't. But yet these people are in hell and they're tortured. And, and the torturing that goes on there, Sid, is unbelievable, but some things that will be helpful to us. You saw demons going back and forth from hell to heaven um, to deceive. Tell me about that, especially children. Oh, that deception was so bad. Uh, the deception started, there was a couple of things. One was video games, and this is before video games were invented, and the demons were going up there and getting into these games to distort young people's minds. Not only that, the demons were also, they're going back and forth from hell, from the center of hell where Lucifer was at, and going back up to the earth so that they could get to the earth and deceive these people. They would enter into people's bodies, 
and they would use, they usually would find somebody that was very handsome or a very beautiful woman or a handsome man, and they would enter that body and they would use that person to deceive as many people as they could, especially lukewarm Christians or warmed up Christians, you know, and they would try to deceive them to take them out to, you know, do immoral things with them, etc. And that's what that was, that's what was happening. That was what was going on. I saw that in 1978. I watched it happen in front of me and it was doing the same thing to all these other people. All these demons were because I bought it. I bought the lie. And all of a sudden you heard a voice. Sid, that was the most wonderful thing that happened to me in hell, is I'm there and all of a sudden I heard a voice that rang out and says, it's not his time yet. You must let him go. I made a promise to his mother. Ivan went to heaven and saw the future of many countries. You want to find out about that promise and why it worked? Next. I don't think so. I don't really want to hear too much more from Ivan. Tuttle, except I repent of my lying and my deceiving because you didn't die and go to hell and then you got rescued from hell because it wasn't your time yet because your mother was praying. That is a deception and a lie. And it's kind of like the, the Catholic doctrine of purgatory where you die and you get another chance because you go to purgatory, which is the middle place between heaven and hell, and you can have a time of cleansing, and people can say prayers for you, and they can offer up masses for you, which you have to pay for to get your relatives out of purgatory. It's a deception and a lie because it, it causes people to believe that they get another chance that they can die, they can be in any kind of spiritual condition they want, and then they get another chance to get rescued out of hell. You wonder, you really wonder how these people sleep at night after they go out and they deceive people like this. Here's another deceiver. Kevin I spent those days in the belly of the earth alone without God. He said the only thing that I had was those psalms that I had memorized. And he said, I rehearsed those and I kept telling myself that there was coming that point if I set the Lord always before me. And because he was at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And it talked about how he would be brought out, that he would not allow his body to see decay. His soul would not be left in hell. He said those demons were telling me that I had failed, that I had been left alone, and my mission was a failure. He told me, uh, Satan told me, he said, you should have taken the deal I gave you in the desert where I offered you all the kingdoms of the world. You could have had them if you bowed down to me, but look at you now, you've lost everything. He said, I just kept rehearsing the word of God. Most people think about the suffering that I did. He's talking about Jesus. <laughs> He's talking about Jesus there. As if, what did Jesus have, a schizophrenic mind when he was walking the earth? Like half of his mind was a God mind, the other half was a man mind. No, Jesus never laid down his divinity. He was always God in a, in a human body. So Jesus already knew that he owned everything. So 
And Satan knew who Jesus was because he had been in heaven at one time. So when people make these stupid statements that that uh, Jesus really, he, he was tempted, he had to make a decision because Satan was telling him he was going to give him all the kingdoms. Yeah, the Bible says that, that Satan was telling him that. But Jesus already knew. And Satan already knew, but that's what a deceiver Satan is. That he's so stupid, really, in reality, he's so stupid that he thought he could tempt Jesus with the kingdoms of this world. Yeah. And uh, anyway, listen to this again. Listen to this, because he's talking about Jesus here, this Kevin. I spent those days in the belly of the earth alone without God. He said, the only thing that I had was those Psalms that I had memorized. And he said, I rehearsed those. And I kept telling myself that there was coming that point. If I set the Lord always before me and because he was at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And it talked about how he would be brought out, that he would not allow his body to see decay. His soul would not be left in hell. He said, those demons were telling me that I had failed that I had been left alone and my mission was a failure. He told me, uh, Satan told me, he said, you should have taken the deal I gave you in the desert where I offered you all the kingdoms of the world. You could have had them if you bowed down to me, but look at you now, you've lost everything. He said, I just kept rehearsing the word of God. Most people think about the suffering that I did. Yeah, he's talking about Jesus going to hell and that... He, he went to hell, and he was without God. And he's saying that the devil was saying something about Jesus being a failure. Well, Jesus knew he wasn't a failure, and Jesus didn't go to hell. And the Moonies say that. The Unification Church, Mrs. Moon and her followers say that Jesus' mission was a failure on the earth, and that they have to now take up where Jesus left off. And this is a man that's being promoted Kevin Zadai on so-called Christian television. says lying about Jesus. It's really despicable. Here's some more baloney from Sid Roth. He, many times, almost every time, he sees what are known as panoramic visions. He'll see a light over someone, and he'll pick that person out. And then he'll see photographs of their entire life right above their head. Their past, their present, their future. And he was mentored by an individual that said, she's in heaven now, but she said he would transmit and explain that when you speak many times. Well, Sid, what many times happens is as I'm ministering after the word, sometimes I enter into what's termed in Hosea 12:10 multiplied visions. It's what we term a seer operation, prophetic seer operation. And so what happens is the person that's 
you know, I feel impressed to call someone out and have them stand in front of me and, and um, they welcome the anointing and the congregation is drawing on that gifting and anointing. And then I just have this overwhelming sense that an angelic person comes to my side. I've actually had people as well as myself since the weightiness of this angel and um, it's like a flame of fire. It's, I, I can't describe it, but just that way, people, hundreds have seen this pillar kind of fire just hover over the person and I and just drop on us. The angel Gabriel, what happened? I was doing a lot of fasting and praying. Now that may sound real spiritual, but I was a student at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. And uh, we didn't have a cafeteria, so I had no money, so I had no other choice but to fast. But God used it, and I think it was upon the 14th day that I had a 22-minute visitation from an angelic person. I knew it was not Jesus, because when I was born again, Jesus was the one that appeared to me. So there's a difference, of course. And I... Uh, was given mandates and certain scriptures that I would identify my life ministry calling in the future. And um, it was at that time that I received uh, just certain impartations and callings, and I, I didn't wait. <laughs> I was 19. I just, you know, hey, I'm ready. Let's go for it. And I just started stepping out as a student and God began to give me words of knowledge and wisdom and prophetic words for students, and they, they were quite specific. This was directed to a woman. Her name, she's in heaven now. Her name is Frances Metcalf, and Frances had a group of people that would pray, that would do the most phenomenal things. I mean, visitations to heaven, translated to other parts of the world when they would go into trances, uh, and, and James, she had a face-to-face -face visitation from Jesus. Uh, what did he say to her? Well, she had said many visitations from the Lord, but this particular one, now she's my spiritual mom, that group of women and men, about 70, 80, spent over 53 years, six days a week, eight, nine hours a day, in high praise and worship and intercession as a minister in my hometown. In this particular visitation, Jesus spoke to her and said that there would come a time in end time ministry, uh, quote unquote, whenever that is, whatever that means, I believe it's now, um, that Jesus face to face spoke to her and said that I will set apart and raise up what he called the Dove Company. She was a forerunning group her and her precious brothers and sisters, and I was sent out from her at uh, 19 years of age. I was a Jesus freak. I admitted I needed some changes in my life and a little bit more sanctification. She said, as you grow and mature, you'll grow into this and you will be an extension. In other words, you will enter into our prayers, our intercessions, our fastings, all that we've spent 50-some years. And it's interesting because a lot of the nations said that I go to, I find out in their writings that they had been there 60 years earlier. 
It's amazing, isn't it? It is really amazing. I don't know anybody in my 40 years of being a Christian that spends eight to nine hours a day in prayer. No, I don't know anybody that does that. I don't know how you could have a life if you spent that many hours a day in prayer and worship. I, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe it. No. <laughs> I just don't believe it. And then they come up with these fantastic stories of how many times Jesus appeared to them and told them things. I think it's it's dangerous for people to seek out these kind of visitations from angels and from spirits because we have God's word. And we need to re- rely on that because I don't know who's appearing to these people, but it's definitely not Jesus. And... Even if, even if Jesus did appear to people, why would you even broadcast it so you draw attention to yourself? Because obviously these people are looking for some kind of public recognition and uh, to get on the preaching circuit in these word of faith churches where they could go and hold meetings and tell their stories and get paid for it. And then they can sell their books and their tapes and whatever for, uh, for more public recognition as somebody that gets visitations from Jesus and goes to heaven and goes to hell and dies and goes to hell and comes back from hell and goes to heaven and sees fishnets and body parts and it's really pathetic it really really is that we've come to this not the real church of the Lord Jesus Christ not the real church because I I think anybody that has a real love for God and a real love for the truth even though you might for a time get involved in in, uh, some doctrines and some beliefs you shouldn't get involved with. If you really love the Lord, he's going to bring you out of it and cause you to repent. But in my over 40 years of being a Christian, 41 years now, I never once heard an audible voice I never looked for an audible voice. I never had a visitation from Jesus. I was never taken to heaven. I was never taken to hell. And I'm not looking for those things. I wasn't really ever looking for those things, to tell you the truth, even when I was in Word of Faith. I wasn't asking for to be transported and to be... That's a big thing in Word of Faith doctrine is to uh, be transported to different countries to leave your body and you're translated somewhere 
because they said it happened to Philip. So if it happened to Philip, it should happen to you. But you can see what happens, what's happened here is that these people are deceived themselves and then they go around deceiving other people. And it really, really is very dangerous and it's very sad because when you think about how many people are, are looking at television, and it's still probably, television is probably still bigger than people looking at their computers. Everybody has a TV in their home and they spend time looking at TV and, and uh, they're coming across these people. And they're being drawn in by this seduction, and it, and it's meant to seduce people. Because in the New Age and in, in uh, these satanic groups, they talk about these visions and these visitations. And I think it really plays on people's pride because it makes them look important to certain groups and it's very very sad i don't i don't think we should try to draw, draw attention to ourselves because we're nothing without the lord we we would be nothing without jesus if he didn't save us and change us. So we have we have a long way to go, church. We have a long way to go, but we need to stand up against these deceptions. And if something doesn't sound right, and it just doesn't appear right, always go back to the word of God and try to check check it out with God's word. And I think as as we're going through these end times and and uh, the wars and the rumors of wars and all the things that are happening, that the de- the uh, deception has just become greater and more seductive. And eventually, you're going to see more and more people turn on real believers, and it's and it, it'll be harder for. Uh, for us to get the word out in the, with the avenues that we have currently, especially with using the internet. But then again, there will always be one-on-one, one-on-one evangelism. And that really is the best. That doesn't require any fundraising. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to have a big budget to do one-on-one evangelism. And just with our little ministry that we have uh, on Blog Talk Radio, we're almost at a million listeners for the past years that we've been on since uh, 2009. So that's almost, that's 12 years. It'll be 13 years in August. That's a pretty good audience for the fact that we don't uh, really publicize, we don't spend any money on publicity. 
and that God has allowed people to be able to find our broadcast, and I'm very grateful. So even with a small ministry, you can still reach a big audience, and that's not even including all the people we've been able to reach on YouTube and on our website. So whatever you can do for the Lord right now, just do it with all your heart because many deceivers have gone out into the world and people are drawn in by fairy tales and by by these preposterous visitations and they're being led astray and that is very very sad it really is Very sad because everybody should be able to have a Bible and to be able to be a good Berean and to check everything out with the Word of God so that you can say to someone, Well, that doesn't line up with Scripture, so I'm not buying it. And I I hope and pray Sid Roth repents. Because what does it profit him to have this big ministry? that he calls a ministry, and it's not. It's just deception after deception after deception. And how are you, how are you going to uh, answer for that if you don't repent now for all the millions of people you're deceiving just to have a television program? It's just not worth it. <laughs> it's just not worth it. So, God help us. But there's hundreds of these testimonies on his program. I've only scratched the surface with some of the people that you've heard today. It's amazing how many of these people are out there now. But the most important thing is today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say, wow, wow, look at, look at all these Christians and they're so messed up. God is not going to ask you about Sid Roth. He's not going to ask you about Jimmy Swaggart. He's not going to ask you about Kenneth Copeland. He wants to know about you. And you're responsible for your own life, no matter what anybody else does. You have to answer to God for your life. Yes, and it, it, it's horrible that there's so many deceivers out there and they don't have any compassion or they don't have any feeling for lost souls. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing, obviously. But the Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's a promise. 
That's a promise. I don't need anybody telling me that they went to heaven and they saw Jesus. And I already know through the word of God that Jesus Christ gave his life for me, a sinner, so I could have eternal life and I could be forgiven of my sins. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is a precious promise, because Jesus said in the third chapter of John that ye must be born again. And that doesn't mean baptism when you're a baby. You have to confess with your own mouth, and you have to repent of your sins. Somebody can't repent for you. You have to do it. And Jesus said, first you're born of your mother, then you must be born again of the Spirit of God. And it is a real experience. In 1981, I got down on my knees and asked Jesus to come into my life. I, I asked him, if you're real, then show me that you're real and forgive me. And I believe that you're who you say you are. And show me. And I was changed. I was born again, and God gave me a brand new life. And old things passed away. The things that I had done before, they passed away. I didn't want to do those things anymore. I wanted to serve God with all my heart. And I knew that I was blind once. I was blind, but now I see. And his amazing grace Save me from hell. And life without Jesus is hell. It really is. Because you have no hope. And you don't really have joy. And you don't really have peace. But you can have all that. And money can't buy that. So give your life to Jesus today. He will give you what you're looking for. I'm not saying that everything's going to be easy in this life because, no, we're in the world, but we're not of this world, and we're, we're only passing through here. But he will give you the strength to get through, and he says that he would never leave you or forsake you, and he doesn't. He's always there to help us to get through this life and through the trials and the tribulations of this life and to keep us on track, to keep us on that straight and narrow road. So God bless you all today, and thank you everybody that was in the chat room, and thank you for all my listeners in the United Kingdom and Canada, Australia, Nigeria, South Africa, the United States. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And if you want to email me, you can email me, susan at propheticnews.com. And don't forget our books are on Amazon. And I think they, they can really help people. Seed Faith, Can a Man Bribe God? And the uh, Paula White book, President Trump's Pastor. 
eye-opening. And uh, so those things are out there. But God bless you all today. And we'll see you again next week.